Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Zechariah chapter 3, Galatians chapter 6, Matthew chapter 21, as we continue our chapter by chapter, verse by verse study of the book of Zechariah. Once again, that's Zechariah 3, Galatians chapter 6, and Matthew's chapter 21. Um, We're going to be in those areas of scripture tonight. If you are uh, looking at the back of our banners, um, there is a spotlight that is just beaming on me right here. Um, uh, Matthew, so if you're, if you have come and you, oh, there I went. Um, and you'll notice our banners that are in the back. We have started a holiday initiative where we are going to be praying for one person that we would love to see, uh, get saved. Someone who doesn't know the Lord. And you'll notice in the seat back pocket in front of you, there are stickers and that uh, labels and those labels basically have five labels on them. And you can see I put Alice, Dan, Jake, Al, and Donnie. Now, if you're Alice, Dan, Jake, Al, or Donnie, the Lord's trying to speak to you. I'm teasing. Um, and you'll see you can just put a name on one. And the reason I'm doing this is I made the mistake of putting one name this way. And when I went to take it off, it looked more Arabic than it did English, okay? And so you want to make sure that you put your name, and then if you've noticed, we've already filled our back banners. And so if you would please take a look at the side banners, um, you can add your name to the side banners as well as we are praying hundreds, if not thousands of people to come to know the Lord this holiday season. Amen? Um, my mic keeps going in and out. It seems to be, or at least it feels that way on my end. All right, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to bless his word. Father, we are so thankful for the great grace of God that you've given us. And we pray now, we pray now that you would speak to us through the book of Zechariah. We're so thankful for this prophetic book, not only for the Jews of the time, but also a prophetic history and timeline for the world. For we know that there will be a day that you will come again. Your second coming. And on that day, you will deliver the nation of Israel from the armies that attack it. And on that one and single day, they will look on the one whom they have pierced, and they will mourn. They'll repent. A national revival in Israel. And Lord, your church will rule and reign with you for a thousand years. And so, Lord, we pray now that as we study the scripture, give us a spiritual mind. To understand. In Jesus' name we all said, Amen. God has provided a way for the Jews to return to their homeland after 70 years of captivity. They're led by Zerubbabel, the prince or the governor, and Joshua, the priest, a young man by the name of Zechariah, our prophet, has also gone back with about 50,000 Jews. God had given them the task to rebuild the temple 
and rebuild Jerusalem. Unfortunately, after they started, they took a 16-year nap. 16 years they delayed in building the temple till finally Haggai comes on the scene, the prophet of God, and he says, it's time for you to get to work. Obediently, they listened to Haggai. They got to work. They started to build, but they started to get discouraged. And so two months later, after the rebuilding of the temple, God sends the prophet Zechariah, a young man, to encourage them. Now, Zechariah will receive eight visions from the Lord. We have studied three of them, whereby the first one, God has brought peace to the world to provide the atmosphere for the Jews to be able to rebuild the temple. He's saying, listen, everything's at peace. You can rebuild. The second vision, oh, they were discouraged because of the nations that were dominating them, and so God lets them know the very nations that have evil intent to end you, I will end, and they will end each other one after the other. Then in our third vision... God affirms that the temple will be rebuilt, and God affirms that Jerusalem will be rebuilt. Now, if you go to Israel today, you can see God's word is true. The nation of Israel is being rebuilt. In fact, I heard one commentator say that if you go to Israel, the national bird is the crane, because you see cranes everywhere just putting up these high-rises after high-rise after high-rise. I think you got it. Tonight, the fourth and the fifth vision. The fourth and the fifth vision are to encourage Joshua the priest and Zerubbabel the prince. You see, they're in the leadership of the ministry. Basically, if we were to put them in a modern-day English, they have a church of 50,000 people And Joshua is the senior pastor, and Zerubbabel is the executive pastor. They have a responsibility. I'm out. Go to a handheld. Somebody doesn't want me preaching Zechariah tonight. (laughs) We out strategized him. So basically, they've got a church of about 50,000 people. And they are the ministry leaders. Joshua is discouraged because he's lamenting over the sins of the nation of Israel. I mean, they've been put into exile for 70 years for things that they were guilty of. They had offered their children to Molech. They were serving and bowing down to idols. And he's concerned and lamenting over the fact that over 70 years, there's been no priesthood. There's been no service in the temple. And now they've returned. And instead of doing the job that they were supposed to do, they started building their own homes. And he's lamenting over the fact, how could you use us? And so in that fourth vision, God wants to encourage him. Now, Zerubbabel... Zerubbabel is discouraged because he's looking, he's the executive pastor, and he's looking at what God has asked him to do and feels the task is too great. Listen, just talk to Pastor Zach. I'm a visionary. You drop a penny, I've got a vision. What he has to manage, that's what Zerubbabel is thinking. Zerubbabel is looking and saying, we've got no military to protect us from these nations that want to end us, and we don't even have a powerful workforce to rebuild the temple. 
So the Lord, he sends Zechariah a vision to minister to these leaders in order to encourage them and to have them press on. Zechariah chapter 3, let's take a look at verse 1. As a measure of review from last week, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. So you need to imagine a courtroom, and there is Satan, the prosecutor, and he's wanting to accuse. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? All of a sudden, the angel of the Lord, who we've already discovered is Jesus, has moved from judge to the defense attorney. And he is now rebuking the enemy. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away those filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Stop there if you would. Satan is there to make accusation, and Jesus provides the acquittal. You see, the people have all all obviously repented. They are building the temple after Haggai came into the scene. But Satan, he wants to condemn them. He wants to destroy them. He wants them to really feel a punishment. And so there he is. How can you let these Jews build your temple? They're dirty. They're filthy. And no, Joshua doesn't say anything because Joshua knows he's guilty. Have you ever been in this position? You know you've done something wrong. You've gone to the Lord. You've repented. But the good old enemy comes along and he whispers in your ear, how can you serve God? You know what you've done. You know what you've said. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you can, you can say to the enemy, just like Jesus, get thee behind me. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus steps in as judge, but all of a sudden he steps in as the defense attorney in front of all of heaven's angels. And he plucks the Jews from the fire of destruction. He removes their filthy garments. He puts robes of righteousness on them. And then he commissions them to serve. Let me tell you why. Because the angel of the Lord is the picture of the pre-incarnate Christ. And there's something that we need to know tonight. Jesus redeems. Jesus restores. Jesus renews. That's what Jesus does. And that's what Zechariah is going to get across to Joshua, the high priest, who is discouraged about the sins of the people. And he's saying, how can you use us? And God says... Because I will do the work of cleansing you. Now take a look at what happens in Zechariah chapter 3 verse 5. And I, all of a sudden, Zechariah gets involved with the vision. Have you ever been in a dream and it was such a great dream that you wanted to get back inside of it? I will never forget. I will never forget we were serving in Africa. And I had a dream that I was in New York City. And I dreamed that I was walking down Fifth Avenue with Andrea, enjoying this incredible experience. And we were going to go to a New York deli and have a pastrami sandwich and then find New York cheesecake. And I'm in this dream. And then all of a sudden, I woke up. And I was in Africa. And I was like, oh, God, get me back in the dream. 
Have you ever done that before, right? Well, here is Zechariah. He's so into this dream. He now engages in it in his dream. And look what he says in verse 5. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. Now stop there if you would. Zechariah gets involved with the vision and he tells the angel, put a turban on his head. You know what Zechariah is doing? He is getting involved with the work of redemption that he sees happening in the life of Joshua because Jesus redeems, restores, and renews. He knows that Joshua is guilty. He knows what Joshua has done. But instead of saying, look at Joshua, that filthy dog, he goes, wow, look what Jesus is doing with a broken life. He's restoring a broken life. And so I want to be part of that renewal. I want to be part of that restoration. And so listen, put a turban on his head. Let him be high priest. Because if God can restore, I want to be part of the restorative work, not the condemning work. Unfortunately, that's not like most of the church today, is it? Galatians chapter 6, would you take a look? Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1, brethren, Galatians chapter 6, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. In other words, if you've got any maturity about you, you get involved with the restorative work, the redemptive work, the renewal work of Jesus Christ, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. In other words, the law of Christ is that we love one another. And if we love one another, we're going to get involved with restoring someone who's fallen. But let each one examine his own work, verse 4. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Church, if someone falls at Calvary Chapel, South Bay, God forbid we do anything other than say, put a turban on his head. Because if Jesus could restore Peter, who repented and restored him 40 days later, then let us be involved with renewing people's lives, restoring people's lives, and redeeming people's lives instead of condemning people's lives because that is an action of the enemy. And I want nothing to do with what he does. Now remember I said, when they repent... Getting someone to the place of repentance, we've got to leave that up to God. God is, God is a great spirit. And I have found in my marriage that God is a better Holy Spirit than me. How many of you have gone to your spouse and you've said, you need to change? Did it work? <laughs> if your spouse is here, don't say it too loud. But how many of you have gone to prayer and you've given your spouse to the Lord and then all of a sudden you see the Spirit doing a work that you could never have accomplished? You see, let God do His work and you get involved with redeeming, with restoring, just like Zechariah did. Verse 6. Let's go back to Zechariah, if you would. Zechariah, we're going to pick it up there in verse 6. 
Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If, condition, if you will walk in my ways, and if, condition, you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house and likewise have charge of my courts. In other words, I'm going to give you back to the ministry of the temple. I will give you places to walk among these, speaking of angelic beings, these who stand here. Jesus takes this moment after restoring Joshua in the same way that he does Peter. He takes this moment after restoring him to give him a word of counsel. Do you remember? Do you love me? Do you love me? Take care of my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me a third time? Peter's all upset about it. But Jesus, like he is with Peter, like with now Joshua, is he is using this restorative moment to give counsel. Do you remember when the man who was, who was lame picked up his mat and walked home? Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, now go your way and sin no more. He restored him and then gave him counsel. You see, Jesus is giving him his house. Jesus is giving uh, Joshua his courts. He's allowing him to get back into the ministry of ministering in the temple. And he even tells him, you're going to have places to walk. And what he's saying is, you're going to be walking with angels. You're going to have access to God through prayer. Isn't that wonderful? That as soon as I say our father, our father goes, yep. Because there's a promise in scripture that if I draw near to him, he will draw near to me. And as soon as I say our father, his ear is not too far away, nor is his hand too short. And what God is telling Joshua, I'm giving you access to heaven. And here's what he's saying. As I restore you to spiritual leadership over the nation, act like a leader. That's what he's saying. Because as the leader, your job, Joshua, is to represent the Lord in word and in deed. Years ago, I worked as, I told you, a lifeguard in Fort Lauderdale Beach, and my nickname on the beach patrol was Borny. They called me a born-againer, and they nicknamed me Borny. That was my name. On my locker was Borny. And they would do anything and everything to get me to sin. Like, they, I mean, I'm telling you, they would do everything. Sometimes I would have to open my locker that had a lock on it. I would open my locker and keep my eyes closed just to, like, grab any paper or anything they would put up. And I'll never forget, I was in an event where we had to row a canoe. I mean, not a canoe, a a lifeboat. And I would, we'd row out a mile, I'd jump off the bow of the boat, and I would swim back in the mile. It was called a row swim. Well, as I was practicing and I was doing the row, the guy that was rowing was a great rower. I was an okay rower. I was the better swimmer. Well, as he was rowing, my oar got caught in the water and the end of the oar hit me right here in my rib and out of my mouth came something other than glorious. He literally stopped. Now, I was 19 years old. He literally stopped rowing, turned around and said, Borny, did you just cuss? I said, he goes, now don't lie, because that will make it worse. 
said, I think I, you think you did or you did. Because I heard something that was not what I used to usually hear coming out of Borny's mouth. It wasn't like Jesus, praise God, hallelujah, Borny. What did you say? Well, I'm not going to say it again. Bad Borny, yes. But I am an ambassador of God. And so are you. Take a look at the screen. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You're an ambassador of Jesus. People should be shocked when you sin publicly. <gasps> we got a borny that just did something. You see... What he's telling Joshua is, I've made you the leader. You are my ambassador. I want you to act like it. And this condition of leadership is conditional. As long as you walk in my ways, as long as you obey my commandments, I'm going to leave you in this position. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 8, Hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a, now maybe you'll underline this in your Bible, they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I'm bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua. You see, the purpose of this council begins to unfold. The purpose that Jesus is communicating these things to Joshua is very evident. You see, this entire event of redemption, this entire event of restoration and renewal, you represent something bigger than yourself, Joshua. This moment represents something bigger than yourself. This moment of restoration and renewal and redemption represents the ministry of the servant, of the branch, of the stone. This restoration represents what Jesus Christ is coming to do. You see, he's known as the servant Isaiah would communicate that in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, that he's the suffering servant, that God would have him pierced, crucified for our transgressions. And Jesus would humble himself so much so that he would go and he would die on a cross to be the servant of the living God. Jesus would fulfill Zechariah chapter 3 verse 7. He would walk in God's ways. He would obey every command. Because he's the servant. But he's also the branch. Now take a look, if you would, in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8. Behold, I'm bringing forth. In other words, the Messiah, Jesus, is coming. And he's known as the servant, but he's also known as the branch. And I'll tell you why. Because he is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, listen to what the prophet would say. There shall come forth a rod or a branch from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. From David's line, Jesse is the father of David. God gave David a promise that out of his line would come the Messiah. He is the branch that would stem out of the line of David. And let me tell you why that is so important. Because Jesus is the God-man. He is 100% God 
and 100% man. And because he came as a man and lived a sinless life as a man, he, as a man, could pay the price of our sin and die on the cross. He's the branch. But not only that, I want you to see what else he's called. He's also known as the stone. I'm bringing forth the stone. Now, you're at a construction project with a bunch of stones all over the ground. This is going to make a lot of sense in the middle of their construction project. And every construction project in this area of the world, it always begins first by laying down the cornerstone. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a tried stone. In other words, it is the perfect right stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. See, it all begins with the first stone. That cornerstone determines how that building will hold in the midst of any trial or any tribulation. And God is letting Joshua know, I am bringing forth the foundation of faith, Jesus. He's on his way. Even Jesus would affirm himself as the stone. Take a look, if you would, go with me in your Bible to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. We'll be back to Zechariah in just a moment. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. We'll pick it up there in verse 42. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. We'll pick it up in verse 42. Red letters in my Bible, Jesus is speaking. Have you never read in the scriptures, he's speaking to the Pharisees, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. In other words, when you were a contractor, you would have to find the perfect stone to know how tall the building was going to be, how wide your building was going to be, how long your building was going to be, and you found a stone that would perfectly fit. And you would go through one stone, go through two stones. This was a common contractor's issue. And he's saying, the stone that you're rejecting, I'm the stone, is the Lord's stone, and it's marvelous in God's eyes. I'm not what you expected, but I'm exactly who God sent. Therefore, I say to you, verse 43, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on the stone will be broken because the only way that you can come to Jesus is be broken, to confess that you're a sinner in need of the grace of God. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder because Jesus will either save us and bring us into eternal life or be our judge and condemn us because we did not believe. Jesus affirms that he's the stone. And with this as our understanding, we also now begin to understand why Moses was not allowed in the promised land. I mean, really? God? All he did was hit the rock and like that. I mean, everything else he did, like throw down the Ten Commandments. And I mean, if anything, Moses had an anger problem. I mean, don't let him go for his anger issue. I mean, it's like because he hit a rock, you won't let him in? Oh, you don't understand. 
It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. You'll see it on the screen. All drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Let's make sense of this. Hey, Joshua, I'm making you a leader, and you represent something more than yourself. You're an ambassador of God. You're representing the branch. You're representing the servant. You're representing the stone. And as soon as he said that, he would be reminded of Moses. Because when the children of Israel needed water, God told Moses, go and strike that rock and water will come out. Moses said, great. I got an anger issue. I like beating things. So he walks up to that rock and he hits that rock. Water comes flowing out. Sometime later, the children of Israel are thirsty again. And God says to Moses, go speak to the rock. But as Moses is walking up to the rock, the children of Israel are murmuring and complaining on either side of him. There he is, that Moses. He took us away from our leeks and our onions and our Egyptian couscous and all of the wonderful Mediterranean food and all we're eating is this manna. And we make pancakes and biscuits and all of this stuff from man. It's like, I just wish I had a little quail. I mean, maybe a little deer could run by. Moses, you took us from Egypt. Well, as Moses is listening to this, these worthless, ruthless, ridiculous people, and he gets to the rock and he's so upset, and boom, he hits it again. God says, hey, Moses, come here. We got a little issue. Um, I told you to speak to the rock because you don't realize what that rock represents. You didn't speak to it, so you're not going to the promised land. You'll see it, but you're not going in. Now, you read that, and you're like, wait, God, that's a little heavy. No, you don't get it. You don't realize your ambassadorship. That rock is Christ. And the first rock represents his first coming where he would be beaten and he would be scorned. He came as a baby and he came to die. But the second rock represents his second coming and no one's going to beat Jesus in his second coming. He is the conquering king in the second coming. So Moses, you have misrepresented my plan. Take a look. Go back with me to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3, we'll pick it up. Zechariah chapter 3, pick it up in verse 9. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts. Stop there if you would. On the stone were seven eyes. Now remember I told you with prophecy, we allow spiritual things to compare to spiritual things in order to allow the Bible to be its own commentary. So if you look at the screen, we'll define these seven eyes. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, some of you are going, wait a second. I thought there was one Holy Spirit. Are there seven Holy Spirits? You have to understand with God, because he created the heavens of the earth in seven days, that seven represents the number of completion. In other words, Jesus was completely filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And his seven eyes represent the omniscience of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They see all things. They know all things. They completely see is the idea and the understanding. But for better, even more so interpretation, Isaiah fills us in on the seven spirits of God. Take a look if you would. We'll count them there. In verse 2, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. That's verse 1. Now let's take a look at the seven complete spirit of God. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There are seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit of God. And it represents the fullness of the Holy Spirit because seven is the number of completion. And what Joshua is hearing from Zechariah is that Jesus will be fully empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to do the work of the ministry. Now on this stone, not only are there seven eyes, there's an inscription. Let's take a look what that inscription says. And I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. Now, when you engrave something on a stone or put an inscription on a building, you're revealing either who built it, who it's dedicated to, or what its purpose is. It's like driving down through LA, right? You'll look and you'll see the Bank of America building. You'll see inscribed the Walt Disney Concert Hall. Or you'll see a plaque, the Bradley Building. And you will see these plaques, these inscriptions, either in neon lights or inscribed, and it describes what the building's purpose is. So what God's doing is revealing the purpose for Israel of Jesus' coming. And all of a sudden, remember, from one phrase of a verse to another, because the prophets only saw the mountain peaks, we have been catapulted into the millennial kingdom. And the Bible says now with that understanding, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. You see, after the seven-year tribulation, the armies of the world, as we've discussed before, are going to attack Israel. They have evil intent. They want to destroy Israel. And so because of that, they will invade. In fact, God invites them to invade. He dries up the Tigris and Euphrates River and makes it a highway for them to come across the Muslim countries and come to Israel and attack. And that while they are attacking Jerusalem at the end of the seven-year tribulation, guess who shows up? Jesus, epic scene, white horse, there on, tattooed on his thigh, king of kings, lord of lords. My son is convinced that if Jesus has one, he can get one. I said, you'll be 18 soon. And then I said, if you get one, pay for your own college. I love tattoos. Just when he's 20. King of kings, Lord of lords, he speaks a word and the war's over. It's called Armageddon, done, finished. And when the Jews see the one that they've pierced, 
and how he has delivered them from the armies of the world, they will mourn. And in one day, every Jew, a revival will pour out from God's spirit in everyone's heart and they will all repent. In one day, every Jew will be saved. That is inscribed on the building. But also inscribed in that building is that everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. In other words, what he's saying is there's going to be a time of peace and prosperity. There's going to be a thousand years of peace and prosperity where the desert will bloom, where the wolf will lay down with the lamb, where you will see a child who is born in the millennial kingdom and he'll be playing with a little cobra. Can you imagine? Hi, little cobra. No more biting. No more effects of sin. It's going to be rolled back for a thousand years. That's what Jesus is going to do. Take a look at 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 5. Speaking of the prominent times during Solomon, Azariah the son of Nathan, over the... Oh, excuse me, that is not the right verse. Zabur the son of Nathan, a priest and a king's friend. Um, sorry, that is not the right verse. In 1 Kings, the Bible talks about Solomon's time and how everyone went from there to the vine and to, uh, uh, excuse me, going here, to his vine and to his fig tree. And what it's communicating is during Solomon's time, there was a measure of peace and prosperity. Joshua goes, okay, we're redeemed, we're restored, we're renewed, I'm encouraged, let's do the temple. But now we got Zerubbabel, he's discouraged. No army, no workforce, 50,000 church members that won't do a thing. I mean, I mean, he's just like frustrated as the executive pastor here trying to manage this 50,000 member church. Take a look at Zechariah chapter four. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who's wakened up out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. So I answered and I spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And I, I add a little sarcasm there. It's like I just asked the question. Of course I don't know what they are. We're engaging now into the fifth vision. And this fifth vision is meant to encourage Zerubbabel, the governor or the prince. Remember, he's discouraged. He looks at the pile of rubble, all the, you got to remember, it's been 70 years. There's trees growing right in the center of the Temple Mount. I mean, there's rubble everywhere. The Babylonians destroyed Israel three times, Jerusalem three times. I mean, they destroyed it. They ripped down every stone. He's got no military strength. He's got no workforce. And here, after the four visions, Zechariah has fallen back asleep, and all of a sudden, he's woken back up by an angel. Have you ever had one of those nights? Have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night and you don't know why you're up? Anyone ever had that? It's not insomnia, it's spiritual. God has woken you to pray, He's woken you to speak to Him to speak with him and let him speak to you. Don't be frustrated when you're woken up in the night as a Christian. Listen to what God wants to speak to you through the wee hours of the night. 
And when Zechariah looks, he sees a menorah. Now take a look at the vision that Zechariah saw. He sees two olive trees. He sees two branches coming from those olive trees that are feeding the menorah the oil that it needs in order to stay lit. Now take a look at the menorah on the stage. Zachariah is a young guy, okay? He was born in Babylon. He's never seen the temple before. He's never actually seen a menorah. He's heard of them. He knows what the menorah is, but he's never experienced the menorah. And God is being faithful to expose him to the Jewish menorah. Now, let me help you understand for those of us that are non-Jewish. The menorah was the only light in the temple of God. This was planned. (laughs) Stay with me. And there was a special olive oil that the priest made And they would make sure that it was lit every single night. They would fill the olive oil every day, a special olive oil, to ensure the light would shine. You see, it was to be a clear picture that there there were no windows in the temple. The only light that was shining in the midst of the darkness was this menorah. Because the Jews had a responsibility Their responsibility was to be a light in a dark world. And I want you to note something about this candle, about this menorah. As dark as I can make this room to be, anyone anywhere in this room will see the light of this candle. In fact, the darker that I make it, the brighter this light will shine. It is courageous, it is bold, and it doesn't care how dark it gets. And in a similar manner, in a similar manner, Jesus, he said that we should let our light shine. Now, he doesn't say the light of a menorah because that's the Jewish nation. No, he says the light of a lamp, not the menorah. There's a clear distinction between Israel and the church. But we are called to let our light so shine. In fact, just like Zechariah's vision... We're called in Matthew 25 to make sure that our lamp is filled with oil. I'm going to ask if the lights would turn back on. And so the menorah is lit. And Zechariah sees that the menorah is lit. Take a look, if you would, at Zechariah chapter 4. We'll pick it up now in verse 6. So he answered and said to me. Now remember, he's asked a question. What are these, my Lord? So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, in other words, to further clarify, verse 9, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Listen to what he tells Zerubbabel. Excuse me, look and listen to what he tells Zechariah. 
The angel doesn't give the meaning, he gives the message. He doesn't answer the question. Because he wants to get the message across. And the message is this, the temple will be rebuilt by the power of the Spirit. Period. Zerubbabel, you don't need a mighty army. Zerubbabel, you don't need a mighty workforce. Who did I have for me when I, were you helping me part the Red Sea? Were you there when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire? These impossible situations, let me remind you, Zerubbabel, who put it in Cyrus's heart for you to go back in the first place? Who put it in Darius's heart to pay for all of temple construction? It was God who intervened that stopped the enemy from destroying the nation of Israel. Now at that time, you may have thought they were coincidences, but Zerubbabel, let me tell you something, these were Godowinces. My spirit will be how you will build this temple. You see, Zerubbabel was discouraged. He's looking at this mountain of rubble. He's looking at this temple that's just torn apart. The task, it just seemed too large, it seemed too big, and it seemed too much. That's what Moses thought. That's what Abraham thought. But there's something that I found about God to be true. He will always provide a task much larger than your capability so that he alone is glorified. There are 22 million people in LA and God gave me a vision of revival. And so many people have asked me, well, what's your plan? And what's your church plan? And how are you going to reach them? You know what my response is? Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. Jehoshaphat is speaking. He says, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. There's my plan. I have no idea how I'm going to reach LA, but my eyes are on Jesus, and I know I got the Spirit on my side. I don't need a mighty army, I don't need a, a mighty force. I know the spirit of God and what he's spoken and I would rather trust in him than any plan that the world may give me because Jesus has made something really clear. Jehoshaphat is in prayer seeking God and he says to him in prayer, I don't know what to do. That's why we're praying for those, these people. Listen, we started praying on Sunday. Sunday we started praying. My neighbors come walking down the street Hey, we're new here. You're new. Can we talk to you? We spent an hour, over an hour of time with them, brought them into our house and began to, I'm a pastor, I share here. Oh, well, we kind of share the same energy. Oh, you have no idea how we're going to bring you to Jesus. We had only started praying on Sunday and my neighbor walked right to me. Only the spirit of God could do that. That's an action of the Spirit because the Spirit is seeking and saving the lost. And so what God is telling Zerubbabel, it's my Spirit that's going to do this work. 
You see, Zechariah wanted to encourage Zerubbabel, what you have started, you are going to finish because the capstone is the final piece on the top of the building that gets placed. And he's letting Zerubbabel know, you're going to know that the Lord is speaking through me because you're going to finish this temple. And do you know, according to Ezra chapter 6, four years later, Zerubbabel put the capstone and shouted grace, grace to it. It's only by the grace of God that I was able to do this work. That's what he says. And when it was done, Zechariah, he's prophesying that the testimony of Zerubbabel would be that God did it. Grace to it. It's only by God's grace. Now take a look at Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10. For who has despised the day of small things? We are now enlightened to the source of Zerubbabel's discouragement. The critics. The critics. It's Ezra chapter 3. You'll see it on the screen. Ezra chapter 3 verse 12. Many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men. So these, these guys are at least 80. Old men who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people couldn't discern the noise of the shout of joy or the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. You've got the older people looking at the temple that Zerubbabel has built and going, this is nothing like what it used to be. I mean, this is like a pile of stones. You should have been, when I was younger, the way that we did it, it was just incredible. Sorry. (laughs) I have found in ministry, there will always be critics. No matter what you do. Even Jesus, he said this about his generation. What shall I say about this generation? Is it, is it, it's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you. You didn't dance. We mourned for you. You didn't lament. In other words, there's no way to satisfy a critic. When you're looking for something wrong, you'll find it. You know why? Because Calvary Chapel South Bay is not perfect. And neither is any one of you. And if you come looking for a problem, you'll probably find it. Now, I pray not so. But the truth of the matter is, there's always going to be critics. And they discouraged Zerubbabel. And so take a look. It's Zechariah chapter 4, once again, verse 10. For these seven rejoice, excuse me, for who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They're the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. You see, there will always be critics, but we must be simply committed to do what God has called us to do. God rejoices when he sees his people doing what he's told them to do. If God's told you to be in the choir and you don't sing, ask the Spirit of God to come upon you in power. If God has told you to be a greeter, if God has told you to volunteer, if God has told you to go, we, I had a, one of my, this is just a precious saint here at this church. 
And the sermon this past Sunday was fulfill your ministry. And she said to me, Pastor Chet, God has called me to go on my street and tell people about Jesus, but I've been afraid. But this week, I'm going to fulfill my ministry and I'm going down my street and I'm going to tell someone about Jesus. And I looked at her and I go, you go, girl, come on. You got it. Fulfill your ministry. She gave me this big old hug. And I said, next week, you're going to come back and tell me who you shared the gospel with. Be committed to what God has called you to do. Because when the eyes of God, the spirit of God, who's going to and fro, that means his activity in the world, he is pleased with what you're doing. He looked at Zerubbabel. You know what Zerubbabel was doing? He had a plumb line in his hand. Now, for those of you who have no idea what a plumb line is, it's a string with a weight at the bottom of it that makes things straight. So you can see exactly what's straight when you drop the plumb line. In other words... Zerubbabel was doing what God told him to do, build the temple. And when we do what God is telling us to do, the spirit of God will give us the power to do it. And you know what that's called? Walking in the spirit. When we're obedient to take a step of faith to do what God has called us to do, the spirit of God will rush in and give us the power to do what we cannot do. Pastor Zach and I, we work out every Friday morning. We go to the Y and we work out every Friday morning. And when I'm on that third set and it's number four and that bench and I've got that bar above me like this, everything I've got, I'm shaking to get this thing up, okay? But you know where Zach is? He's right above me. And he'll put his finger right under that bar and he'll just help me lift it up. He's my spotter. The Holy Spirit is your spotter. And when you give it everything you've got, he comes in and he goes, I gotcha. I'm gonna give you the power to do it. That's walking in the Spirit. Zechariah chapter four, let's close it up. Verse 11. Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees? Zechariah can't give it up. Uh, You haven't answered my question yet. I need to know what these olive trees are. Thank you for the message. Could you please answer my question? So he goes back. I love this. Ask and you will find. Seek, right? I mean, he's asking, he's seeking, he's knocking. What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and its left? And I further answered and I said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold, uh, gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered me and said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Zechariah goes, hey, that's great. Thank you for the message. Could you answer my question? I really need to know what are these whole olive trees and this branch thing? And he's really seeking understanding. He's seeking, he's asking, he's knocking. Because sometimes the Lord doesn't want to spoon feed us. Sometimes we've got to dig a little bit deeper. It grows us up. If you remember, he asked the question, what are these in verse 4? Then he goes, what are these olive trees? And then he says, what are these olive branches that are coming off the trees? And the answer is, the olive branches are the two anointed ones. Zechariah tells Zerubbabel, he's anointed. Tell Joshua, the priest, he's anointed. I want those guys to know I'm with them. I've commissioned them. 
You tell them, I've anointed them for the work that I've called them to do, and I will give them the power of the Spirit to do that work. He says the same thing to you, anointed ones. I told you, I know ministry is hard. I know that. It's why Paul would write the church in Galatians chapter 6, 9. Don't grow weary in doing good. You know why you'd have to tell the church not to grow weary while doing good? They were growing weary. But God gives us the spirit of God to do the work of the ministry. And if you're weary about the ministry that you're in, here's what Jesus says. You got to fill your lamp. And you got to fill it with the oil of the spirit. And he said in Luke chapter 11, the way that we do that is we just ask. We just ask. We say, Spirit of God, would you help me fulfill the ministry that you've given me? You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You have access to heaven. All you have to do is ask. Would you pray with me? Our Father, these two witnesses, they stood before you. And people who stand before you, their job is to minister to you. Their job is to be directed by you. Their job is to be accountable to you. And as the church, this serves as an example for us. You're encouraging us tonight as you're anointed. You died for us. You have given us your Holy Spirit. You've sealed us unto the day of redemption. But Lord, truth is, you've asked us to pick up our cross and follow you. And even you needed help as the God-man As Simon the Cyrene grabbed that cross like the Holy Spirit and helped you get up Calvary's hill. Spirit of God, we need you. We cannot do this without you. Spirit of God, fall fresh on Calvary Chapel, South Bay. Spirit of God, fill us, come upon us, empower us. Spirit of God, we believe in you. And we believe more than anything tonight, not by our might, not by our power, but by you, the spirit of the living God. We can do the work that you've called us to do. We are your anointed. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.